0: Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey, we're going to take a look at the evolution of the temperance cause. And we're going to focus on the early days of the movement in Calhoun County, as written by author Washington Gardner. And we're going to take a look at particularly four different aspects of the temperance movement. First will be the Washingtonian movement, and the Red Ribbon Movement, the Women's Christian Temperance Union, and finally some of the statewide legislation that came about as a result of these activities. So come along and join me. It is going to be a fascinating tour through yesteryear. So the temperance movement, if you've not heard of this before, was a social movement that promoted temperance, or in effect, the complete abstinence from the consumption of alcoholic beverages. Participants in this movement typically criticized any alcohol intoxication And they promoted, essentially, total abstinence from the use of alcohol in one's life. And they emphasized the negative effects of alcohol and how it affected people's health, personalities, and their family lives. Now, typically, the movement... Promoted alcohol education, but it also demanded the passage of new laws against the sale of alcohol, and they also got into the regulations concerning the availability of alcohol, and they wanted a complete prohibition of it. Now, the temperance movement began essentially in the 1800s, and I'll get into that in a little bit here in a minute, but it evolved until it eventually brought about the prohibition period in the early 1920s and 30s. So, we're going to focus today on the temperance part of it as The early part of the movement in Calhoun County. And Washington Gardner describes that it was a long stride in temperance reform from the year of 1804 when Benjamin Rush of Philadelphia published an able paper on an inquiry into the effects or ardent spirits of the mind and body. And the year of 1912, when in Michigan the battles are fought by counties and many of them successfully in favor of the absolute prohibition of the liquor traffic within its boundaries. The way of temperance reform has been a torturous one. And this is according, once again, to Washington Gardner. But however crooked, however many seeming reverses, the trend has been a constant forward. He goes on to state that it wasn't until 1808 that the first temperance society was organized in the United States. And at that time, a pledge was exacted that would by no means satisfy the Orthodox temperance people of today. A new standard was set up and the flag planted for an advance of the then existing battle when Dr. Reverend Lyman Beecher, father of Henry Ward Beecher and Harriet Beecher Stowe, introduced successfully and carried through a resolution in the Congregational Association of Massachusetts against The then prevailing custom of ministers Drinking. So, this is kind of how it all began. But I wanted to sidestep a minute and talk a little bit about his son, Henry Ward Beecher, who became an abolitionist and a temperance activist. He was born in 1813 and he died in 1887. And he was an American Congregationalist clergyman and a social reformer. And he was a speaker on the abolition of slavery. But he was also a speaker on the temperance movement as well as a writer for the New York Independent for 20 years. His sister was Harriet Beecher Stowe and she was born in 1811 and she's most known for her book Uncle Tom's Cabin which she published in 1852 and she depicted the harsh conditions experienced by enslaved African Americans in that book and so she's probably the most well known to people in the Beecher family and she was also a temperance supporter, and activist. So let's return to the story of the temperance movement, and let's look at the Washingtonian movement. The Washingtonian movement had a very humble and obscure origin, but its benefit, influence, was far-reaching, and in a way it was sort of permanent. A tailor, a carpenter, a blacksmith, a coat maker, and a silver plater, each and all hard drinkers, were on the evening of April 3rd 1840, assembled in a tavern on Liberty Street in Baltimore, and they were partaking in their usual potions when they fell to discussing the temperance question. The same evening in a nearby church, a minister was delivering a lecture on the theme, and it was agreed by four of the number that they would go and hear what he had to say and return and report. They went, and on coming back they made a favorable report of what they heard that evening. And before they went into their homes that night, it was determined by them to form their own temperance club. And one of their number was designated to draw up a pledge and present it for consideration on the following Monday evening. When they convened at the appointed time in place, the following was presented and adopted. We whose names are hereunto annexed, desirous of forming a society for our own mutual benefit and to guard against a pernicious practice which is injurious to our health, standing, and families do pledge ourselves as gentlemen that we will not drink any spiritus or malt liquors, wine, or cider. They called their organization the Washingtonian Society. That little cluster of men in Baltimore set the clock of temperance reform ahead a quarter of a century. It was the beginning of the first great temperance revival in the United States. It led to many thousands of men in all parts of the country joining the movement and walking away from the drunk habit and becoming total abstainers. Many of the most effective and famous temperance advocates to the cause were from the ranks of the men who had been themselves addicted to alcohol. The Washingtonian movement struck Michigan in 1841 and spread from town to town, converting great numbers by the irresistible power of the advocates. Never before had there been such an awakening in this country. A cry went forth, an alarm sounded like a fire bell in the might, arresting the drinker. In his downward career, there was no disagreeing or separating into opposing parties in regard to the plan or means used in suppressing the rum traffic. And that's how Washington Gardner describes the beginnings of the Washingtonian movement. Now, Washingtonian or Washingtonianism hit Battle Creek. A well-known Michigan writer of that generation, he wrote about it and he said, One of the most memorable incidents in the history of Battle Creek is the introduction of the Washingtonianism in that village in the winter of 1841 to 1842. Marshall had succumbed to the reform and had sent three of their representative citizens to carry the glad tidings to the neighboring village of Battle Creek. The meeting was held in the Methodist Church, and it was crowded to its utmost capacity to seat those who had come to hear the words of the Washingtonian movement. And the first speaker was Thomas Gilbert. Mr. Gilbert went on to become one of the most foremost citizens in Grand Rapids during his time. But during this time, he was living in Battle Creek. And he represented on that evening that the class of gentlemen who take the occasional glass. And that was the theme of his talk. And he said the speech was direct and forcible. He said that the habit of taking the occasional glass would lead to taking one much more oftener, and that path led them to become a drunkard. The next speaker was Bath Banks, who was from Marshall, and he was a liquor dealer. He said that he had abandoned the liquor business, and Washingtonianism had opened his eyes to the evil of selling liquor. And now every time he turned the faucet, the gurgling of the liquor sounded to him like cutting men's throats. The last speaker was Robert Hall, who was a farmer who lived near Marshall. He stated in plain and honest words the reason of his conversion to temperance. He had been for many years a habitual drunkard. He had gone home drunk one winter evening on his ox sled. His faithful beasts had taken him to the door of his house... But they could go no more. When discovered by his family, he was nearly frozen to death. He said when he came to Marshall and settled on a farm, his neighbors referred to him as Mr. Robert Hall. And as he began to drink occasionally, they started to call him Bob Hall. And as the tipping of the bottle led to even deeper drinking, they began to call him Old Bob Hall. And following that, after a lot more drinking, he became an occasional drunkard, and then they called him Old Hall. Finally, he became a gutter drunkard, and they called him Old Alcohol Hall. (laughs) So many of the citizens of Marshall had not only gathered together and signed the pledge themselves, but they'd sent their representatives to Battle Creek and other places in the county where they introduced the new gospel and set the work to going. From Battle Creek, there went out Erastus Hussey, Dr. John L. Balcom, and William Coleman, and others to proclaim the new way and secure signers to the pledge. So that's interesting. Erastus Hussey, who was one of the station masters on the Underground Railroad system going across the state. He was the station master in Battle Creek. He was also very much an abolitionist, as you can expect, and he was a temperance activist. And then he goes on to say that the whole county was stirred by the earnest advocates and their large numbers basically had an impact on the amount of drinking that was going on in the county. And Temperance took a long step in advance through the influence of the Washingtonian movement. Interest in the cause of Temperance was kept alive by the formation of a local temperance society, and by the tours of able and eloquent advocates of the cause. In 1849, a great impetus was given the cause by the visit to America of the famous Irish priest and apostle of temperance, the Reverend Father Theobald Matthew. As a temperance advocate, he had a remarkable success in Ireland. In this country, he not only taught Catholics and Protestants, as well as a wonderful, powerful, positive influence on the drinker when he brought his sermon to bear upon them. Now, Father Matthew's societies were everywhere, and they formed all over the place, and many young men were so influenced— as to never form the habit of drinking intoxicants. The next movement that I want to call your attention to is one called the Red Ribbon Movement. And this began in 1876. In 1876, a wave of temperance swept over the county and indeed the whole state under the leadership of Reynolds and the Red Ribbon Movement. Every signer of the pledge was designed by the sign of a Red Ribbon And that badge became very popular. None were too proud nor too great to wear it. It seemed to take on a new influence and a new honor every time it was seen in the lapel of the coat of a reformed drunkard. And these were large in number. So, a man named Reynolds was the one that spearheaded this movement. And Michigan furnished several advocates of the temperance cause, and among these were Reverend John Russell, who was the long and foremost leader in the state of Michigan, as well as Robert Fraser out of Detroit, who came to the front during this Red Ribbon movement. And he was an advocate of pleading to his fellow men to join him in the movement. But one of the men that was a nationwide leader that came from Michigan was Samuel Dickey, and he had become the president of Albion College. So essentially, the red ribbon movement that happened in the 1870s was an effort to get men to stop drinking and wear a red ribbon on their lapel to promote the movement to others. And it was became a symbol that kind of caught on and helped spread the movement of temperance again, and it gave it a new revitalization. And as Washington Gardner described... The temperance movement would go up and down in popularity over the years. And so we're getting to 1870, and that's when uh, a new resurgence of it happens with the Red Ribbon Movement. The early resurgence was the Washingtonianism movement. And another movement that followed that was the Women's Christian Temperance Union. And he describes that perhaps the longest sustained and most effective influence for temperance in the latter years originated in a crusade organized among the women in the little town of Hillsboro, Ohio, in 1874. What was supposed to be a local and spasmodic protest against the saloon became something that spread to many other states, including Michigan in that number, and it became a revolutionary movement to battle alcoholism across the country. And this organization became known as the Women's Christian Temperance Union. The union was made up of a body of Christian women, drawn together with the various churches in their community, with the common bond in the promotion of temperance and the prohibition of the saloon. So it didn't matter what religious faith you were part of as long as you were a woman and you were a member of a church and you were in agreement with the temperance movement that they had formed. And the organization became a national organization in its scope and had many local societies in many states. And there was usually a society in most of the principal cities and towns particularly in Michigan. It became a self-perpetuating organization, and they never seemed to get discouraged no matter whatever the setback, whether it be a death of one of their leaders or some sort of regulatory reform that would shut them down. They continued to persist in their endeavors. Now, one of the stories that came about in my research of Battle Creek during this period with the women's temperance movement is they would storm the saloons and... All these women would rush in there and grab the barrels and roll them out in the street and punch holes into them and spill them all over the street of alcohol, basically. And they would uh, basically do these raids on saloons during that time period. So with the rise of these movements over the years, it naturally evolved into trying to push through legislation in their various states. And the cause of temperance legislation, not only in Michigan, but in many of the other states in the Union, had been exceedingly varied. Washington Gardner describes it as having been many different variants as much as the many phases of Joseph's coat, as supposed to have been of many colors. And there were everything from state prohibitions to county prohibitions in the various states around the country. And in some instances, there were township prohibitions. And over the years, many of these were amended or appealed or repealed, and some were reenacted. And every time there was a voting cycle, the ballot box often would sway different ways in regards to the issue, depending on where you lived and the rise and fall of the temperance movement. And Gardner describes that people rallied at times against the standards of moral persuasion of alcohol as well as the signing of a pledge against it and also for license or tax enforcement. And again, by absolute prohibition. And at other times, it went in the opposite direction, where people were championing the cause of liberty to be able to drink if they chose to. And he goes on to state that all men recognize the evils of temperance, and they differ greatly on the best method of coping with these evils. And Michigan as a state did try Prohibition early on before the great Prohibition laws were passed on a national level. And they did that between 1853 and 1875. And that ended Prohibition for that period in 1875. But another election in the spring of 1886 to 1887 brought up the issue of Prohibition once again. And another statewide contest was held, and it aroused the entire state. And at the spring election, there was a vote of 362,775 votes in the state. And 178,000 of them were for Prohibition, and 184,000 were against it. And the range of majority against it was just 5,835 votes during that election. Interestingly enough, in that same election, Calhoun County cast 5,458 votes for and 3,424 against Prohibition. And the majority of the county was 2,034 votes in favor of Prohibition. In 1909, the county of Calhoun passed another Prohibition, and it only lasted two years and was repealed in 1911. And at the writing of Washington Gardner's book, A History of Calhoun County, which he was publishing in 1914, at 1912, while he was writing the book, there was again petitions circulating to put the issue back on the ballot. Ultimately, national prohibition happened, and it ran its course until the 1930s when it was repealed, and that pretty much put that issue To rest on a national level. And we don't really see much in the way of a temperance movement like it was back in the day, in, in present time. But that was an interesting little bit of a tour through the history how it began with the Washingtonian movement, becoming the Red Ribbon movement that gave it new life, and of course, the women's Christian temperance movement. And then the different ramifications of the legislation that was passed over the years by the influence of these movements in the state of Michigan. And of course, Southwest Michigan, like many other parts of the state, were affected by the efforts of the temperance movement in the various counties and townships, and some agreed and some disagreed with the movement, and it really had a lot to do with how strong the temperance movement was in the area of the state. But it was a very fascinating time in the history of Michigan. And that's going to conclude today's journey through history looking at this fascinating chapter of the temperance movement. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to hit the review section on whatever app that you are listening on and leave me a positive review and rating. It certainly goes a long way to picking up new listeners to this podcast on Southwest Michigan history. And if you'd like to reach out to me, whether you have a question for me or just want to share some information or just kind of tell me how you like the podcast so far, feel free to reach out to me at my contact form on michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.